Hoo-ha! You're listening to The Jaunty Mantis, a podcast of creative questions for curious gamers. My name's Jesse, and with me is my co-host, Maddie. Say hello. Hoo-ha! Hoo-ha! Hoo-ha, child. There may have been a tie. The guy. Let me tell you, Charlie, there's nothing more that I like than a big ass. That guy. Hoo-ha! It's going to be this the whole episode, just oh, warning you now. Hoo-ha! Yeah, welcome to the Jaunty Mantis. We're a TTRPG podcast, and we are uh, now in season two. And Jesse, what's the theme of season two? The theme of season two is creation without number. Yes. <laughs> We're workshopping that name as we are recording what is probably episode two of the season. That's right. Yeah. And if you've enjoyed our bonus episodes, maybe you're glad that we're back to actual role playing game topics instead of trying to wax intellectual on the finer points of Star Wars movies. But we're back. Yeah, it was... It's season two. We're ready to start creation. Yeah, so a little bit of a backdrop for this. Uh, we got really into the idea uh, coming off the genre episode, which is will be episode one of this season. So by now you're listening to episode two. And we just thought, you know, one of the things we really, really like to do uh, and have for the entirety of our friendship is create settings and ideas and mechanics together. So we just mm -hmm. thought, hey, let's, you know, lean into that and give some examples of tools and resources that are out there to help you create the worlds that you play your TTRPGs in. Right. And I think, uh, think of this as like um, an actual play for creating a campaign setting or an adventure or whatever we decide to get up to in season two. So luckily, and this is kind of why we're calling it creations without number. Um, there's this guy, you may have heard his name, friend of the show. Uh, I wish he was, I don't, no one knows how to contact him. He's an enigma, a cipher, but I brought him up many times. His name is Kevin Crawford. He runs like one of the sharpest, uh, Kickstarter based RPG companies, sign nominate publishing. They usually deliver a month ahead of time. Um, like if you are a listener and you ever think about kickstarting an RPG, he's done blog posts about what it takes. Um, and the, his advice is basically like write the whole book before you <laughs> write a Kickstarter, just mm -hmm. write the whole book. Um, yeah. And he has these amazing tools. If you want to follow along, pause your, if you're not listening to this on a drive and you want to follow, this is, I actually can't imagine anyone sitting at their desk, just listening to the Johnny Mantis. But, uh, if you want to follow along, we will be using for this episode, uh, cities without number, which is Kevin Crawford's cyberpunk game. Um, and it has some really great setting creation rules in it. And it is available for free on drive through RPG. All of his major without number books have a free version and a deluxe version that has additional content in the back. All the content we're talking about today is in the free version. Um, and yeah, if you're into cyberpunk, go check it out because it's super cool. Yeah. And I probably have very little knowledge of Crawford and his work compared to Jesse. But what I can say is over the time that I've been exposed uh, to his work, uh, whether it was Godbound or, um, you know, Worlds Without Number, which is a book I checked out uh, previously to us even starting this podcast. 
uh, you get lost in his material. It has this weird, compelling uh, aspect of it, which just draws you in. He makes rules interesting, setting interesting, um, and creating a setting. I think there's amazing tips and advice and a great flow to follow in these books. Uh, and so that's what we wanted to focus on is we figured if you, the audience, had a chance to hear how we do it, not to say that we're experts at it, but it's something we enjoy doing. And I'm the kind of person where uh, if I can see other people or listen to other people do things I'm interested in, it often helps me in the long run. Uh, and that's kind of the uh, impetus. Is that the right word behind this uh, season? So we're going to devote the entire season to the creative process. Yep. And to jump into that, um, this is a section that is in every without number book. Uh, I just like to go over it real quick, just for a quick react. Uh, cause as much as I love these tools and this is the thing too, to think about these, these are tool sets. You don't actually have to play this game though. I have no problem with it. Um, principles of creation. All of his games are designed to be sandbox games. Mm-hmm. And so he has some principles of creation in the creation section, everyone. Principle number one, sandbox games are driven by the players. Oh, God. <laughs> this is one of the best pieces of advice that any GM could take to heart. And as soon as you figure this out, your games are going to be better for it. I wish I had known this earlier on in my role-playing game uh, career. Is that the right word? I'm not making any money at this, but uh, when I was trying to run games, I wish I understood this concept because it would have saved me a lot of time and turmoil in you know how to design a game, what makes a game work, what are the best features of a game. As GMs, we tend to try to look at games like it's our baby, it's our Bible, it's our world, it's our events and our history. Uh, playing out, but it really isn't about us at all. <laughs> I'm going to throw in a caveat again here. It is a little bit about us because I will say you are also a player. True. True. Like if I'll you're not having that. fun, you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Principle two the plot of a sandbox campaign is what happens. True story. Uh, this one, this is the part of his advice that I'm just like, this is, this is where I had that same moment, Maddie. Mm -hmm. Uh, you only need to stay one session ahead. Yeah. That would have been crippling to me in my younger years. I can picture the spiral notebooks filled up with page after page of outlines and, and, uh, mythos and who the major players are and what do they do if this happens? So. What does that mean? Only need to stay one session ahead. What does that mean for you, Jesse? Um, you, if you're not enjoying your prep. Now, the notebooks you're talking about from when we were teenagers, I had fun doing that. And so no regrets. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it would have been more fun if my players had respected my art. <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah, you just need the next adventure. And one of one of his tips is always like at the end of the session, ask the players, like put a couple hooks in the adventure for tonight. And at the end of the session, ask the players, what do you want to do next time? And then you prep that. Mm -hmm. And that takes us to the last principle of if you're not having fun, 
and you don't need this content for the next session, stop it. <laughs> I love this. I, I love that. It's so perfect. It it really is just like stop doing something you don't like and yeah. start doing something you do like. You know, because I also enjoyed filling up those spiral notebooks, but what I didn't enjoy is when it didn't get used, when it didn't land, um, when it started to get frustrating. And um, and I, I've created tons of content that'll never get used. The world is a sadder place for that, Maddie. A yeah, sadder sure. place for that indeed. Sure. <laughs> All right. I'm sadder that it won't get used, at least. It won't get used because it's not good. And that's the thing is we... <laughs> We as GMs, like like anyone who wants to be a GM, let me just say this. Like, I tip my hat to you. You know, a common phrase that my father says constantly is, hey, remind yourself you're not perfect. And I think that's an important thing to remember for being a GM. Remind yourself you're not perfect. Forgive yourself. Make it okay to make mistakes. You don't have to be a Stephen King-level storyteller. You don't, you're not writing the Lord of the Rings and in your heart is the passion and the drive to want to run a game and a shared play experience for other people. And that's amazing. You know, like I hang out with in-laws or friends who don't game, or if I talk to strangers and it's like we as gamers, especially those of us who run games, we participate in something that is so unique and special that the vast majority of all other people, not only don't do it, but they have no concept of it. You know, I love all of my friends. Some of them don't understand role-playing games, let alone why you would want to be the person facilitating that game. So you are that special person. Make this job as easy on yourself as you can and use the necessary tools that make it and keep it fun for you along the way. Yep. And Okay, I'm going to have a little bit of hubris before we formally gear up. Speaking of gear up, uh, I've thrown a link in the chat to a document where we can record things as we go. Sure. Um, this may be hubris. I expect what comes out of tonight is going to be, in my head, really cool. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> sure. going to love it and be like, why aren't we playing a campaign in this? Because that's what happens every time Maddie and I have one of these conversations. True story. If I am right about that, and I could be very wrong this could be already the engines on fire we're spiraling out of the sky like the mm -hmm. oxygen masks have deployed who knows but if i'm right i just want to remind y'all that this is a conversation between two humans that love each other very much are used to each other's communication style and have been doing this for 23 years, 22 years. Mm -hmm. So this is not our first try. And uh, if, if you're going through this process and being like, it wasn't as cool as the Jaunty Mantis, um, therapy, wow. therapy is a good place to start. Uh, no, yeah, we, we should cut this. I was trying to be helpful and I just sound no, like a prick. No. No, you're going to you keep are... it in because I said I sound like a prick, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going to keep it in definitely. But you make a great point in that you and I do have chemistry and we do have the ability to play off of each other's ideas. And if you haven't already heard that in the podcast already, including episode one, 
of this season where uh, Jesse uh, solves the problem for me right after I say it. Like that's an example of what we're talking about. So don't be intimidated by our process. Just listen to it and enjoy it. And if there's something here for you, that's awesome. If you start to listen to this and you're like, you know what, this is bullshit and I can do this in my sleep and these guys are idiots, fair play, that's totally fine. Keep listening to it also so we can have the download. I don't know. Uh, Whatever the case may be. Speaking of the download. The download. Jack in, friend. (laughs) Set the lights to neon. Listen to the rain patter on the glass. Smooth jazz mixed with bumping chip tubes. The streets are dangerous tonight. Cyberpunk. cool music for our intro so never mind okay so when you create a cyberpunk world according Mm -hmm. to the system you have a couple of levels to go through and we're going to run through these tonight Mm -hmm. uh the first is the world which is a very high level overview uh the second is the city mid-level and then you have the district which is where play mostly happens the city is made up of districts the bottom level the bottom level yes and there will be people in and places and organizations so page 110 in the book if you're following along at home choose a date what year is it oh this one i really like because and they give this advice in this book of why you would choose a future date or a past date um and it all this is a great way to start a cyberpunk game because it really does put you in the mindset because We all have different ideas of what cyberpunk is and different things have different cyberpunk elements and different aspects of cyberpunk are based on when they were made and what those projections were into the future. Shadowrun, perfect example. If Shadowrun's future had come anywhere close to what they predicted in this game, we'd all be walking around with Kitar-sized computers the, you know and jacking into our heads in into the into uh you know uh into our bank or whatever the case may be we, we'd all be dead of vitus if shadowrun was <laughs> yeah, true that's true there's more to it than that so jesse what's our date i personally i'm a child of the 80s i love picking a date from the past when i read this in this book i was like oh this is so fucking smart let's pick a date in the past The year is 2005. The world has come to a dystopian end, you know, (laughs) like 
there's nothing funnier than watching a movie especially from the 80s where they put the future date on the screen and you're like wait a minute that was like 10 years ago and we're fine so i'm a fan of doing that jesse what do you what do you say for the date yeah uh i i I agree it's it's my my first answer is going to be it's 20 xdx (laughs) but you know (laughs) um yeah let's set it 2005 i like it We'll take those 80s predictions of what the future was going to be and say it's the year 2005. That's right. And the just you did the voice. I can hear it in my head. I can hear the dun 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 like <laughs> 80s synth music. All right. The next step we do after we have our date determined 2005 is we choose a global problem. Do you want to use the tables? I kind of want to use the tables. Yeah, yeah. Why are we choosing a global problem, though? So a big element of cyberpunk, of course, is dystopia. Like mm-hmm. how, so what are the huge global problems that have shaped this dystopia is a key thing to sort of understanding or sparking ideas for the world that we're going to play in. So we've got a D20 table and we should do two of them. Do you have a 20 sided die handy? I can make one on the computer computer machine real quick all the right. year is 2005 i'm gonna roll a d20 i got a six six problem one. Oh, well that's dark <laughs> climate change <laughs> oh, wow this one's hitting a little close to home here people Ooh, we're here for fun on? let's <laughs> what page is this on this is on page 112 climate change large portions of the world are now substantially hotter colder wetter drier or otherwise different from how they are at present this outcome may have derived from human activity solar perturbations meteor strikes interstellar dust clouds or the nebulous work of unfathomable forces all right so what kind of climate change are we thinking in most cyberpunk how would you describe the climate Fucked. <laughs> um, <laughs> i mean would you think that things are generally got too hot or too cold maybe you start there i want to see what the second problem is okay fair enough and then ping off that but i i like what you said about cold Mm-hmm. Yep. Now you know where I'm going with this. Do you want me to roll a D20 again? Yep. Okay. My next roll was a three. Three. Oh. <laughs> Cast formation. An international elite of hereditary megacorp families has formed a new cast of rulers and oligarchs. Lesser breeds could only hope to attach themselves to some powerful dynasty. We just made Snowpiercer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> can only hope to attach themselves to some powerful dynasty and reap the rewards of loyal service. People take it as a commonplace that these elites are smarter, better, and wiser than ordinary people. Yeah, I got ideas. Do Mm. we need another problem? I don't think we do. Uh, Okay. All right. I I got a pitch. Go ahead. I do. I have a pitch as well, but I think we're going to pitch the same thing. Go ahead. Okay. Nuclear winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the technology was enough that while there was mass death, it didn't just devastate humanity, but it cooled the earth substantially. And the people that had access to 
the tech that let them heat things uh, and keep out the rads, as it were, um, basically created the top of this caste system. And so there are these fortified cities uh, where heat is the primary commodity because it's bitterly cold. (laughs) Yes, yes. I was going in a very similar direction. One of my favorite things about because uh, I haven't read the books, I'm I'm waiting for the fu- for some time in the future to read the books. The show, The Expanse, has a scene on the space station where the guy takes a shower in somebody else's apartment, and you realize that he's like enjoying every second of it because water is so limited on the station. And that was that was immediately what jumped into my head is that heat is so valuable that to have any amount of it is uh, a symbol of status and wealth and is your means to progressing through society. And they have the technology in this city to concentrate enough heat to certain parts of it. And only the smartest, I'm I'm using quotes here, smartest, uh, most apt, uh, best suited to lead society um, are allowed to live in these areas where the heat uh, is where the source of heat is regular. And uh, I was also thinking of almost like a Hunger Games kind of aspect to it where the city every so often allows people to move from station to station in this society to get closer to the heat. I'm picturing like the upper cast has like huge domes because let's say the technology is like super cheap and not hard to maintain, but they just keep such a control on it because they're capitalist motherfuckers <laughs> that like uh like up on the top levels of of the city, like mm-hmm. there's domes that it looks like it looks like 1950 suburbia up there, like because right. they can just heat so much. They've got plant samples. The sky's blue because they scrub it like. It's just like, oh, everything very, you know, like Stepford Wives creepy in the lower cities, whoever's strong enough, (laughs) like the gangs control proximity to the heating pipes like Mm -hmm. that don't even put out heat. But being near them is warm enough to be alive. Right. So like, yeah. And this starts to I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves in the process, because I know there's a part of the Kevin Crawford process in 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 this book about when things start to go wrong. So um, I'll bookmark that for later because I have an idea for that. But that means we also need to come up with, and here's a separate tangent, is how is heat distributed if you are are temporarily away from the pipes? Is the cold so lethal that you need to carry uh, heat in devices in order to keep yourself alive? Is there a lethality and how immediate is it for different parts of the city? Like, do parts of the outer parts of the city even look like um, frozen, um, uh, like winter wonderlands? Like, uh, you know, do you understand what I'm talking about? Like, they almost look like they belong in a snow globe, like the exterior parts of the city. Yeah. I just I got this image in my head of like, you know, you always see the neon. Um, you always see the neon in the rain in a cyberpunk game. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of the neon in the snow and the reason why, weird little story. Um, one year when I was in China, there was like a freak snowstorm on Chinese New Year. 
And if you think like fireworks are bad on holiday in an American city, <laughs> like the people who invented them, <laughs> um, like it was like war footage and the light diffuses in the snow. So it's just like these just color blooms, just like pulse. And then the weird echoey percussion. And I'm just picturing the neon in the snow and ash. We're going to do districts. I feel like it's vertical. Mm, okay. Because heat rises. Mm, yes. And so does the cream of the crop. But I think there are probably like, there's probably a shantytown. I don't think it's so cold. You like freeze within an hour. Okay. But I think if you can't find shelter, like seven to eight hours without like good clothes mm -hmm. will give you frostbite and then kill you. Okay. That's I think fair. probably the global mean temperature is probably something like 10 to 15 degrees. And I don't know if that's scientifically accurate for <laughs> how fast it will kill you, but. Gotcha. Okay. That works for me. I still would like some sort of transportable heat technology in this environment. However, even if cold is not, it does not have that brutal lethality to it. Um, I think it's an interesting element to have the characters have to trade in a currency of heat and it's stuff that they can, I don't know if it's a device that they can load cartridges into, or if it's the cartridges themselves or something like that. But I think taking the heat as a literal form of currency in life, I think uh, is a great way to impress the setting upon the players. I love that. Cool. 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 I also, you know, very obviously people hear influences here, but I also love the idea that, hey, what if there's a piece of cyberware that basically you replace your blood with antifreeze? Oh, yes. <laughs> like, and it's so expensive that people like can pretty much only get it for an indenture contract. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's perfect. And you can make all sorts of really cool Merc, like uh, antagonists and villains. You know, yeah. like you can make sympathetic characters. You can offer that it's a player character option where it's like you have donated your body to this servitude in exchange for the ability to just live in some sort of relative comfort by having this having this uh, addition or feature to your to your body now. Yeah, but you have to change it out. <laughs> yeah. And then we should also come up with how that's done, because it should not be clean. It should definitely paint be painful and it should be something that like attracts attention. Like it smells terrible or something like that. Oh yeah. And there's, there's definitely a black market, like bathtub <laughs> yeah. and a freeze blood market, like in the undercity where like, yeah, you might live. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it. You know, cyberpunk technology did not empower you. You give up you know, more of your humanity and more of your freedom just to get an edge to keep ahead in this hyper-capitalistic hellscape. Wow, we made a terrible place. <laughs> I mean, we're, you got to hit all the important elements of cyberpunk, right? Which is like ultra-violent despair. Um, like, uh, there's an element of social commentary with like, um, you know, this the, the state of um, what is it? Like the the state of of uh, consumerism and capitalism and um you know making extrapolations on what we have today or or the 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 potential of what's coming tomorrow 
And so I think that's what you, as long as we hit those core aspects, uh, we're making a great cyberpunk game. Cool. Cool. cool What's cool. next? All right. Uh, jumping back to page 110 on our checkbox. No, we right have, or sorry, not page 110. We, I think, yeah, there's a list of themes. Alienation, co comatization, consumerism, dehumanization, despair, and escapism. I think we're, we've almost covered all of those. <laughs> yeah, definitely. If we want to focus on a couple of them specifically, I'm open to that too. Okay. What's our regional focus? Where is our city? Well, for this one, I think it's important that you regionally choose either some a city that exists in our world or we make up a fake city. Like it's either a city that survived whatever's happened or it's a city that's been built because of what's happened. And I usually like to go with a city that's been built from what's happened. I like the idea of a vertical city and it makes me think of, well, then actually in this case, we could use an established city. So what I, so I live in Chicago, Jesse used to live in Chicago and one day um, a piece of the street uh, crumbled and fell through and you got to look down into the hole and people said, what's that down there? And somebody said, that's old Chicago. <laughs> And Futurama makes fun of this, uh, but, you know, cities being built on top of past versions of cities. And I think you could go that route with our city, especially with it being vertical, is the concept of building on top of itself. So I like the idea of, of using both of these concepts, making it a fake city with a real origin so that at some point the player characters can discover that this was an actual city from our world. What do you think about that? I think we got to bump the date. Okay. <laughs> Why? Just, I'm trying to think for the premise we've created that we had technology that made, I, I hate to call nuclear winter a minor inconvenience, but made it, <laughs> you know, not, the technology existed to make that not an extinction level event not a civilization ending event. Mm -hmm. um, I just feel like the plausibility that, that happened in 25 years from 1980, if we're sort of putting <laughs> ourselves in the viewer of the cyber dystopia gotcha. to be a lot. Yeah. Well, there's two routes you can go with that one. You can, I think you're making a great point. You can go that route. The other one is you can take some sort of extreme measure that doesn't actually happen and is not actually based on pure science in our own world. Like in Snowpiercer, for example, what they tried to alter the environment significantly, and that's what caused this effect. It wasn't a nuclear winter. It's like they tried to, I think, do something with the ozone layer or whatever. Um, so there's that route as well. But pitch me on putting it into the future. So what's our new date? Um, I want to go like it's 2350 or like 2370 or something. Okay. And here's why. Just if we want to have that reveal of it was an old city, it needs to be kind of so far in the future that it's presumable none of those cities would exist anymore. Okay. That's fair. Okay. 2370. Yep. What's the biggest city near the equator? 
Let's see what Google says. Did you did you hear about the uh, the plumes from the boats? No. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do this real real quick for you. So you remember how this year, like the ocean off Florida, got like crazy crazy hot. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of people were freaking out, like this is an extinction level event, like this is it, and it wasn't. <laughs> a bunch of scientists were expecting that because two years ago this law went into effect banning this kind of diesel that the cargo ships were using, and so what happened is that diesel had sulfur dioxide or something in it, something that seeds clouds. So basically these transport ships just going across this patch of ocean because it's one of the most heavily traveled shipping lanes in the world were seeding clouds and the cloud cover kept the water cooler. Hmm. Like the pollution had a knock-on effect of keeping the water temperature down. So this is an El Nino year. This year there wasn't that cloud cover and the temperature in the water shot up. Be Interesting. Which gave some people the idea, you know, we could seed clouds. Right. Which gets us to Snowpiercer. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So large cities near the equator, uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of them. I think uh, from this list on the internet, we have Bogota, Colombia. We have Singapore. We have Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Um, I have a tendency to go with things that most people would just recognize immediately. And I feel like Bogota, Colombia is very recognizable. What do you think? But, you know, that's just me. Yeah, I think also, too, it, uh, I, I worry that we'll get into trouble with setting it in Asia. So, yeah. That's the yeah. other advantage to using a made-up city that only has roots in reality is like if you're trying to be more sensitive or culturally sensitive or if you don't want to do the straight white guy thing that a lot of us straight white guys do, which is take stuff from other cultures and then modify it so it's the cool thing in our crazy story that uh, usually ends up being the monsters or or the weird magic, uh, you know, making up your own thing kind of gives you a little bit of room from that. So we don't even have to make it an actual city. We can just use a completely made up city, which is maybe what we should do. Yeah. I had a friend from Columbia and they showed me pictures of like the landscape around Bogota and it's beautiful. Um, let's, let's put it in the middle of the ocean. Okay. Because they're frozen solid. Yeah, why not? Right. It's the middle of the ocean somewhere. Maybe there's some mountains nearby that could be any island chain in the world. We don't. We can nail that down later. Right. And that could be a cool reveal in its own that your city that you live in is actually on top of the old ocean. Yeah, it grew out of an underwater colony. Mm-hmm. I love it. Cool. All right, what's next? Any superpowers? Superpowers does uh, cybertech count as superpowers. No, I mean, like, are there any national oh. governments that have superpower status? Right. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yes, there are superpowers. Who are They're, they? They are the... they. Okay, so the superpowers at work here, one of them is a society or, or corporation that is convinced it's doing the right thing. 
It's convinced that only a certain amount of the human race actually has the ability to make life better, that the rest of us are just like wasteoids who are contribute nothing to society. And this is the organization that has enacted the Hunger Games-esque process of lifting people up in order to find them and elevate them towards the heat. So my question is, is that a thing that happens in a bunch of cities across the world, all controlled by this one overarching structure? Or is that a local city thing that yeah it exists depends on in the, the scale. scope of this one city as an injustice to you know survive and i don't want to say an injustice to fight in a cyberpunk game it's an injustice to survive <laughs> i feel like this is something that exists in all cities and it's based on a protocol that was enacted when the horrible shit got past the point of no return like when the catastrophe of the of this world gets to a point where people realize oh shit we're fucked this is it like they start opening up all this like maybe old government policy that was written or guidebooks or or they start like reading stuff about like you know uh uh that was you know written by people who predicted events like this and they've taken it as gospel like it's grown into gospel in the future almost to the point where it's it could even have religious connotations to it about elevation and it's a mysterious body above the corporate level Mm -hmm. and it's called edda it's called edda okay Mm -hmm. all right eda the edda okay why do we call it eda no one knows anymore but it used to stand for uh emergency disaster authority nice okay i like that and then people can talk about in the words of the edda you know like that's awesome and it's it kind of pings off the poetic edda which is a viking poem so viking sn- i don't know you know just kicking just getting some ideas getting like loosey goosey with it i like it now okay. does the edda have um are there faces of the edda like are there deities of it or is it just like an idea Like, does it have deification? Um, you know, does it it does it have religious structure? I say we don't answer that yet. Okay. Until we get into organizations and things. But having said we don't answer that yet, I think even the corpse toe the Edda line. Okay. Why, if that's a mystery the players are interested in, maybe it can be revealed in game, but like they at least pay lip service to the Edda. And yeah, I want there to be like another superpower of people that threw off Edda regulations, but they're so far in another part of the world that it doesn't even really matter. I don't see being a lot of like inner city travel. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of a corporate structure that is practicing a system of beliefs that it may or may not necessarily believe in but is considered a part of fitting into the corporate structure you know that's like every corporation (laughs) i know it means that like our values are we live for our values (laughs) (laughs) well you know and then you have those people that are like why are we even doing this it doesn't make any sense you know what i mean like you know it's you could have people that observe certain it's like playing golf with the boss or whatever 
which I fortunately have never had to do, but because uh, I don't like golf. But uh, you know what I'm saying? Like there's we could implement all of these ritualistic like behaviors that in a corporate structure, there are those who practice them because they think it advances you. And there are those that openly reject it. Oh man, there's so there's so a plot about like a dynastic succession struggle, like the kid, the truth. Oh, the kid's a traditionalist, and the dad is just mm -hmm. like, nah, fuck the Edda. Like, yeah, but he's the CEO of one of the. Okay, never mind. Too too far ahead. Too, too far, far ahead. ahead. Mm -hmm. All right, make five major megacorps. We got a table for this. Let's roll on it. What do we need? Should I roll a d20? And we can't pick a country for each one, so we can pick a different tower. Creating Megacorps, page 126. All right. Okay, I'm going to roll 1d20. 16. The main corporate fortress. Oh, this is perfect. The main corp focus <laughs> is power generation. <laughs> wow. And I... Here I thought this could be a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, then we got to double down on that. If the cuz that's so on the nose, we need to do more with it. Well, let's roll 2d20 two more times to see what the general corp style is. Okay. 2d20, huh? Mhm. Mm Our total is 10. Oh, I need each roll. Oh, 8 and 2. Two, brutish. <laughs> okay, brutish, relying on money and influence to force its products into success. And then eight is fraudulent, relying on political influence and force to sell half functional goods. Okay, I got thoughts on this. And this All is right. based on something you said earlier on in this, this process. Because what okay. you said was that the ability to create heat is actually ridiculously easy. So we make that because it's power generation for this corporation and because it is fraudulent and it is uh, brutish, uh, the company has been trying to maximize profits by creating less stable, cheaper, easier to even easier to produce heat and it is causing destruction it is causing overload in the system oh yeah they say we can't get to the undercity to maintain the pipes the, the gangs are too rough they attack our crews and so they just let the pipes rust out so those people who live off the scavenged heat from the pipes like periodically a pipe will blow and just take a whole community out like mm -hmm. yeah and, you and then have... they go in and patch it <laughs> You could have a an uh you could have a uh an underground force of opposition that has figured out how to make its own heat as well. Mm-hmm. Uh what is this corpse particular strength? Roll a one D twenty. All right. Got a ten. Uh strength. Their schemes are unusually effective. <laughs> <laughs> okay so their schemes are unusually effective so they've managed to convince the 
the heat provided populace, the people who live in relative or better comfort with this heat, that this is actually a problem that's happening. They have convinced them that of everything you just said about the pipes and it wiping out whole communities, they have turned sections of the city's public against each other because yeah. of it. Yeah. No, it was an illegal tap that caused that pipe to rupture, causing an unfortunate increase in price in the upper city. Mm-hmm. That's right. We have to use this to defend our way of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From these godless savages in the undercity who don't know the words of Edda. Um, <laughs> Love it. Recent corporate event. Roll right. 1d20. Here it comes. We got a one. It's losing money with its current products. Interesting. Hmm. I have another thought about the its schemes are unusually effective. Okay. Given the essential nature of its product, like it has monitoring equipment everywhere. So like everyone's being, if you're anywhere near a heating device, you're being monitored. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, yeah. That's they don't they can't pay attention to all the data they gather, but like, you know. That's that's an amazing spin on, you know, uh, being monitored by, you know, the corporate machine. Yep. That's why their schemes are unusually effective, because they just know when they want to do something to one of their rivals, they're just like, well, what are they up to? Oh, I see. And, and it's losing money with its current products can tie into the idea that there are people who have figured out how to make the technology and have realized how cheap and effective it is cool current so, corporate goal current corporate goal let's mm -hmm. roll 1d20 i got an 11. 11. force open a currently closed market hmm what is a currently closed market in this city when heat is the product? That would be development, right? They are trying to, there is an overpopulation of people in the sectors that can produce heat. And the lie is starting, the the seams in the lie are starting to, to be seen by the public, right? Where it, they, the original idea was they claimed that there's only a certain amount of room, but it's become so profitable to supply heat that the corporation has doubled down and doubled down and doubled down on it. Like, we'll provide as much heat as we can. They, they've, you know, waxed the palms of the politicians to get, you know, uh, regulations uh, changed on population control. And now the heat producing somewhat quote unquote comfortable sectors of the city are now overpopulated. And so yeah, and you can't, you can't it. build up because then you'd pave over the dome of the elites. Mm -hmm. So you got to go down. Mm -hmm. But the stories they've been telling about the people down there who've been living, you know, the people who've just been taken off the system and like uh -huh. making it hard for everybody who's middle class, you know, uh -huh. God, I hate human <laughs> so the new the 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 currently closed market is a development scheme that is the hinting to the old city 
the old part of the city. It's this whole, like you think of like those movies from the 1950s or the, the propaganda around like, like suburban development. And they had like those animations or those pictures up of uh, like the happy home, the two cars, you know, the wife uh, at the oven and the happy family. And it's like, they have that whole thing, but we'll, we'll do it differently in our world where it's like, they have created a mythos around this part of the city that people didn't know existed. And they are secretly re-renovating it to try to open it up to the public as a new place with heat. Yeah, but people live there already. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so it's over budget beyond its timeline. They're losing money. The areas they have managed to open, there keep being accidents there. And so people <laughs> are scared to move in. So like. Yep. Yep. Love it. And then we need a name. So. First, we need a D20 for the name element. Okay. That will be the number 19. A river name. A river name. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, that's interesting considering the city is on top of an ocean. <laughs> it could. Hey, what? All right. Currents. There you go. Major ocean current names Agulhas Agulhas A-G-U-L-H-A-S the Agulhas current wow that's the name of a corporation Agulhas Kuroshio I feel, I feel like the name it's too easy to give them a Japanese sounded name it is it does play into that whole 80s stereotype of uh, of the genre right and we can't we can't be so deliberate to call it like jet stream. <laughs> Equatorial, um, Labrador, Labrador. Canary. All right. Here is a list of the ten most important rivers in the world: Sepik, Mississippi, Volga, Zambezi, Mekong, Ganges. Danube, Yang Yangtze, Yangtze, the Yangtze, Yangtze, Nile, and Amazon. <laughs> the urge. <laughs> I like Volga. Okay. You want to know how it's spelled, or do you already know? Because you're B -O -L -G -A. a Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have not been actually taking notes, so uh, I don't have editor access to the note page. The Volga is the longest river in Europe and one of Russia's most important rivers. Yeah, Volga, and then we need a separate corp element to the name. Five. Community. That's Volga perfect. community. That's perfect. Supplying heat to your community for the last 50 years. Volga. Your community is our community. <laughs> Volga. <laughs> the warmths in our hearts, the warmths in our hearths. Volga. Yes. Yep. Are you warm today? Volga. 
obey <laughs> Volga. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's the thing. It's so easy to to just lean into full dystopia and forget the cyberpunk is they are totally like a shit eating grin corporation that makes dumb advertising like that that shows oh, yeah. up when you try and watch Hulu. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's an important element of cyberpunk is the over the top extrapolation of advertising, which gets further. It The closer and closer we get to it, the further and further it is as a relevant concept. Because if you look at our own marketing and advertising that we have today, it's like, it's not that big of a step. The over, the gross exaggeration of media and advertising to make a point about capitalism. I'd buy that for a dollar. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Um, yes. We've got our problems. We've made the main megacorp. We will probably need to make a couple others, but for sake of time, we can do that uh, off air, maybe report back or mm-hmm. or pick it up next week. But let's get some more bones going. Um, vertical city means we can kind of stack maps. Mm-hmm. Like just take map sections from other things and just say level one, level two. Um, marking out districts, I think the levels... In a mm-hmm. broad sense, the levels are a great way. Yeah, that's an easy one. And there's probably some sort of shanty town carrion district around the base of the tower that mm-hmm. they can get enough heat out of the system to stay alive out there. But true story. Okay. So let's get our city's problems. Some, I love, this is why I love Crawford. Some of the following 50 calamities have shaped life in your city and its surrounding regions. Uh, so we are going to roll at least twice on the table to get problems in the city. What page? This is a D100 roll. It's page 116. Okay. Our roll is 14. Okay. 14. Civil War. No. That fits. Yep. District against district. Let's see what the text says. The region was split between two or more mutually hostile governments, each determined to crush all opposition. They may have splintered along ideological lines, ethnic faith, or corporate allegiances, but the destruction was calamitous. One of the sides may have won a convincing victory, or they may have simply fought each other in a mutually to a mutually exhausted stalemate. I don't like that one. It doesn't <laughs> make as much sense with our city. Let's re-roll it. Oh, okay. 36. Ooh, failed invasion. <laughs> All right, I'm listening. Uh the lower level people. Was a and riot they, and they failed yeah right yeah it wasn't a it wasn't a failure to repel them it was a fail failed invasion on the lower levels to the upper levels yes and that destroyed a lot of the progress on the um gentrification of could you do it the a- other way around could you do it a failed invasion from the top to the bottom? Because we did mention that there is a mythical-esque piece of potential development. 
I don't see the top levels failing if they wanted to just go in and kill a bunch of lower level people. Well, the lower levels got to have something at their disposal. Yep, bodies is basically. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll do lower level to top level. That makes sense. This is eerily similar to Snowpiercer, but yes. (laughs) Except it's in a tower. (laughs) yeah (laughs) what if it was in an airplane that had to travel around (laughs) what if it was an airplane being pulled around the world by a big train (laughs) Ooh, like a glider (laughs) yeah um okay and then we need another problem okay let's roll it we got a 13 that's civil war again it is all right yes then we got Wait, let me explain why I don't like Civil War. (laughs) Okay, go for it. I don't think there's like, I don't know, I guess it could be something against the Edda. I just don't know. I feel like the cities are pretty independent city-states. They don't have a whole lot of like region around them with turf or territory to control. Mm -hmm. They're almost like arcologies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all right. I'm into it. How about 68? Offensive War. I mean, all war is kind of offensive, but the region went to war against a neighbor provoked by their actions or tempted by the prospect of easy pickings. The attack may or may not have been successful, but a generation of locals has been shaped by military service and the privations of wartime life. So they went done ham on the neighboring tower. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. And what was the cause of that? I don't know. Maybe it will reveal itself in time. Yeah. Probably something about like our way of life and freedom and well, there has to be divisions even within the heated community. <laughs> yeah, no, we're I mean, there's gonna be the other corpse. Like we Volga's the big one because they do the heating, but there's other services, like mm-hmm. it is a hyper capitalism, you know. Gotcha. Okay. We can re-roll it if you don't like that one. If it's no, too I like similar it. to failed invasion. No, it'll be it'll force us to be more creative. We just don't have to answer it right this second. I mean, it could be the undercity invaded and failed, and then <laughs> the upper city like went to war. <laughs> mm-hmm. The upper city went to war with the upper city. With the mid city. With the mid city, yeah. Who actually had very little to do with the lower city invasion. But it could be commentary on the uh uselessness of the middle class. Yes. Wait, aren't we both middle? Okay, never mind. <laughs> the guys with the podcast about games where you imagine you're someone else. <laughs> I mean, I don't have kids, so I might be I might be uh, middle class by default because I have disposable income. Fair. Okay, uh, we will make the core district where the players live. Okay. So we have a couple things we need to do to build this district. We need to choose the district traits, choose the district government, define local gangs, and then I think that'll be a good pausing point to record the back half. Okay. So So defining traits of a district is... um, Okay. Yeah, it's a D100 table on page 122. Okay, 13. Again, geez. 
Canal District. Interesting. Where other, other districts district. have streets, this one has waterways. It may be the product of never corrected flooding, a seacoast geography, or a city improvement plan gone awire. Oh, what's that word? Awry. Awry. Holy shit, Jesse. I've never seen this word actually in type. Wow. Can <laughs> we re-record this and you read it so I sound like less of an idiot? <clears throat> okay. Uh, I don't think you sound like an idiot. I think you have a beautiful man voice and everybody makes mistakes when they're reading sometimes. Uh, <laughs> Canal District. Where other districts have streets, this one has waterways. It may be the product of a never-corrected flooding, a seacoast geography, or a city improvement plan gone airy. Oh, damn it. Awry. <laughs> but the locals have gotten used to getting around in small boats. Aquatic cyber is relatively common here. Interesting. Wow. A canal district. It's pipes. Mm-hmm. It's it's open pipes that like sluice water, like right, but it's an official district. Well, that's a trait of the district. It's not the canal district, but in this district, there are open waterways. Gotcha. Okay. Are we gonna say that their water is contaminated? Oh, of course it's contaminated. <laughs> <laughs> You think people would just leave a valuable resource necessary for life open? Like <laughs> <laughs> and then how how contaminated? Like mute creating mutants contaminated or I think it definitely creates mutants. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Do you think this is lower city or mid city? I want to say it's a this is a mid city problem. Okay. Because I would say think that the lower city, they would be like, geez, you guys have water? That's amazing. Like yeah. in the lower city, it's too cold to have water. Like we have ice, right? We have poisonous, polluted, acidic, or damaging ice, but to have actual water, like people in the lower city haven't even seen water before. So I think we have we need to reworkshop this name because I think it's from something. The Spire, mm -hmm. the Upper City, the Mid City, the Lower City, the Ring, and the Sub City. Okay. I like it. The, that was an order of uh, quality of livableness, too. Mm -hmm. like, Love it. Let's give this let's let's give the mid city another trait. Okay. I've got 84. Number 84. Shifting trait. Ooh, roll twice on the table. The first trait is ending here, but whatever force or circumstance is ending it is also giving birth to the second trait. <laughs> okay. All right, first roll. 14. Canal District. <laughs> <laughs> Reroll. 65. 65. What is ending? Open Parkland. Open Parkland. Okay. Yeah. What is that? What is open Parkland? I mean, what does an open park look like in 
the mid city. Maybe it's just a patch that near wilderness conditions. Well, this is a city that's built on a portion of ocean. So is there a cultivated like sea life that has been incorporated into this park? Like, yeah, maybe it's like a quasi abandoned, like kelp farm, Mm -hmm. like huge area. That's like been stocked with like near wilderness sea life. Like there could be a mythos or a legend around this area that it, it was, you know, some sort of development project that incorporated all this, you know, sea life or coral or seaweed or whatever kelp or whatever the case may be. And there's an end to it and a beginning of whatever comes next, which is 36. Number 36. Oh, I thought it was 26 or a second. I was like, uh oh, <laughs> a grand structure. Wow. They're going to pave paradise and put in a parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> A grand structure. Interesting. So like a new generator or something from one of the other corps we haven't figured out yet. Or this is where they're building the development. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that would be an easy one right there. Yeah, yep. that's perfect. So they're going to drain out this you know that's perfect source of uh source of food genetic diversity uh like actual resources they're going to drain it and uh in order to to build this new development for to alleviate the mild overcrowding of the upper city Mm -hmm. i love it so in a sense yes take paradise (laughs) (laughs) all right let's make a gang okay all right first what is the main gang income roll d20 Mm -hmm. or the main gang income (laughs) is city government lobbying wow wow a gang know. of lobbyists? That's amazing. I, I can't, yeah. I didn't know how to feel about it. Okay, what's the gang's general style? Oh, this is, is going to get real weird. Is this another D20? Yep. 16. Swarming. <laughs> Favoring masses of low-level gangers over fewer, more elite members. So, okay. Interesting. So the main gang makes their money from lobbying the government the city government and uh this is done through swarming by that's their style so are they are they ecology protesters then you know what i mean environmentalists maybe are they like you know heat for everyone like a heat for everyone movement you know they they got to have some if their if their main income comes from lobbying the government. There's got to be an like an on the upside of this gang, you know, 
Like you could make it that they had origins in being one of the bloodiest street gangs in this city. And that because of a series of events, they have now transformed into this. So all their core leaders are these people that used to do like really terrible shit. I think they still do really terrible shit when they lobby the city government. Like they don't just like host a pancake breakfast fundraiser. Yeah. Like this is an extrapolation on the falseness of environmental politics in our current society. Right. Okay. Like there's so much lip service being paid to the environmental action of our current world. And yet if you look at it, like, nothing's actually being done you know there's all these like flat like fake uh like uh masturbatory actions by the government and corporations like oh this really matters to us at x corporation you know environmentalism is really important to us but it's like if they really actually cared about it uh the government and this corporation would stop doing x right like that is a common theme in our current society is nobody trusts institutions governments and corporations so you could just double down on that that like this gang works in that fake sense of environmentalism and uses what we just described like the leaders of it are fucking cutthroat just like diabolical crazy people who have the front-facing aspect of being environmentally conscious. And they have their, through threats, intimidation, blackmail, extortion, (laughs) have their hands on the puppet strings of city government. So if you want something done, even the Mm -hmm. corpse, if they want something done... And they can make you look real bad by swarming you with activists. Flash mob! (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, they're paid protesters! Yeah, man! (laughs) cool what is this gang's strength let's get weirder oh my gosh d20 time huh all right Mm -hmm. 15 they have a monopoly on something yeah they have a monopoly on environmentally conscious activism yep that one's easy we just rolled right into that one okay uh recent gang events 13 again they moved their headquarters. Okay. The gang has gone through a pivotal moment where they've been able to move their headquarters from its roots in one of the lower districts, not the worst districts, but up to one of the, not the top, but the near top, or maybe even the top district. Like they exploded in popularity to the point where they were funded or or amassed enough power that they were able to move all the way up to the top and that's where their headquarters is now well this is a mid mid uh this is the district gang do we want the district gang headquartered in a different district Hmm. yeah like that's okay. and it's just happened too and it's a huge point of contention within the gang like it gives the pcs an in to the inner politics and how things are breaking down inside of this gang. Like there needs to be conflict within the gang, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Sold. (laughs) Thank you for reminding me, but it's a recent event. And then current gang goals. 11. Regroup after some recent reversal. Interesting. Why'd they leave their old headquarters? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, does a recent reversal 
that counts, right? What is a reversal? They lost their old headquarters. Okay. They lost it to this development. Pro- well, no, but that's in a different part of the the city. Maybe their old headquarters were in mid-tier. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I originally was thinking, like, what if their old headquarters was in this development area? And they had to give it up, and they traded it for... Yeah. Yeah, but that was unpopular with the gang. Mm-hmm. So now they're trying to regroup after losing that headquarter in their sort of historical heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, like, have sold out at this point. Yeah. All right, is it time to name this gang? It is. First, we have the name element. 17. Intimidating adjective. <laughs> and then the gang element. 10. Horde. <laughs> Intimidating adjective. Wow. Maybe they just have a terrible name. <laughs> and their name is intimidating adjective. Um, but it has to incorporate the name horde into it. I mean, that's what the table says. We can just pick. We can just Mm -hmm. name them. So an adjective is a word that modifies or describes a noun or pronoun. Peaceful, optimistic, hopeless, elated, euphoric, afraid. So an intimidating word. An intimidating adjective. Let's... I, I thought of the answer my 13-year-old self would say would think is cool. They're what? the crazy horde. <laughs> <laughs> the crazy horde? Oh, man, that should be my band name. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Interesting. This is hard. Because you want it to sound cool because you don't want your players to laugh when you tell them what the name of the gang is. I don't know how we do that with horde being the other part. Well, Horde actually fits with the fact that they can flash mob to get what they want. Yeah. Terrifying, frightening, formidable, scary, horrible, terrible, fearful. I just saw a thing jump out on my Google search. And I, what do you think about they call themselves the ethical Horde? Oh, I love that. I love it. I don't know if that's intimidating, but like, yeah, we're the I ethical horde. The ethical horde. It is so, it's, it is so in tune with like, just like social commentary about right now. Like my girlfriend and I really like that show Harley Quinn on HBO Max, or I guess now it's just called Max. And there's this part where Poison Ivy becomes the CEO of the Legion of Doom and she initiates this campaign of quote-unquote socially conscious evil <laughs> it's fucking hilarious i highly That's recommend amazing the show. yeah so i like what you just said kind of keyed me into that you know ethical horde it's not an intimidating adjective but i do really like it yeah and when you're using tables like these it's just a prompt if you get a better idea you can always re-roll okay cool So we've got the main gang whose schemes will influence our players. I assume if we're starting them in the middle tier, we need to make four more corpse. But we've sketched out this world where it's terribly cold. Uh, The most valuable commodity is heat. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's some shadowy quasi-religious organization called the Edda that most people follow their dictates. The Edda Pact, I guess, or maybe the regional superpowers. Um, the dominant corp is Volga. Um, and the main district is a district with many canals mm-hmm. and a parkland that is being torn down to build uh, a new development at the behest of Volga Corp, creating all sorts of problems. The main gang in the district is the Ethical Horde, mm-hmm. uh, whose primary money is through lobbying the city government. Mm-hmm. This is awesome. This is very unique. Yep. We made it weird, and it's. I feel like it's still cyberpunk. Yep. So we'll zoom in on some uh, other details uh, the next time we record mm-hmm. and make the next episode section of this. And then maybe, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. Any closing thoughts? You know, I think the most important closing thought on this is to have fun with it. That's, that's, yeah. that's really like why this is enjoyable. Like this started for Jesse and I back at deluxe diner over endless cups of coffee and, a couple of franchisees that that's really where this kind of um partnering and and, and coming up with things i don't know what kind of blanking on what we call this but like this creative activity that jesse and i like to do together this comes from us just hanging out together and if it wasn't fun we wouldn't be doing it and i think that's the thing is like always remember to have fun when you create for a role-playing game yep and if it's not fun like kevin crawford says stop it yeah stop it so all right we've been the johnny manis if you need to get a hold of us uh you can always email at us at johntymantis at gmail.com we are on hex as uh wanty mantis because i misspelled it when we created the account mm-hmm. and ostensibly we're still on threads just email us if you want to talk to us yeah um i'm at jingoist fet on hex yep and i am jingoist fet on twitter <laughs> all right get out there and create some uh, hyper capitalist hellscape dystopias yeah what jesse said <laughs>